Hello, and welcome to Ask Marketing Live, episode three. I'm joined by Joanne Martin today. Welcome back to the show, Joanne. We had you out in the Grand Canyon, I believe, on our last episode. Uh, so it's awesome to have you back. My name is Wes Yee. Happy Tuesday. Thank you. Yes, I'm Joanne Martin. I did make it back from the Grand Canyon alive, uh, inspired and ready to go back to the Grand Canyon at uh, the next possible chance. Uh, excited to be here on a Tuesday. Uh, excited to be here on a Thanksgiving week. Uh, I've heard some people are taking the week off, but we're ready to talk marketing. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving to, to everybody here live. And also, if you're listening to this while you're avoiding your family on Thursday, hello to you as well. Um, if you are live, maybe give us a little shout out in the chat. Share your favorite Thanksgiving dish. Joanne, do you have a favorite or two that you're looking forward to on Thursday? Oh, I every year we do, uh, we call it alt Thanksgiving. Uh, so we don't typically do a traditional meal. Um, last year we did turkey tacos and we made like Thanksgiving tacos. Um, so my husband's an amazing cook. I always look forward to whatever he's going to come up with. So yeah, maybe you have to go with turkey because it kind of always makes its way in somehow. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about you? What are you um, for, for us? We, we made the change um, a couple of years ago to Thanksgiving prime rib. So oh. um, yeah, so we're going to be rolling with a little bit of prime rib. Um, and then I am, I'm a stuffing connoisseur. Um, I think when my, well, I guess I could do marketing for this as well, but when my t career in tech is over, I'll probably open a chain of restaurants where stuffing is actually the core item. I feel like that's something that you just don't get enough. Once a year is, is not sufficient. Tibbers agrees with me. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think stuffing stuffing has got to be got to be my number one draft pick. But uh, yeah, throw it throw it in the comments if you're listening asynchronously. Throw it in the chat if you're here with us live on Tuesday. Um, but yeah. And bonus points if you come up with a great name for Wes's future stuffing-based restaurant. <laughs> yes, there's, I have there's a know. lot of puns out there for, uh, <laughs> for the marketers on this call. So I, I'm, I'm hoping for, for good stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, get, let's get right into it. We'll jump right in with the uh, best of Ask Marketing. Got our usual question gift there. <laughs> Um, and uh, for those joining the show for the first time, these are questions from the Revenue Collective Ask Marketing channel. We hope that you're a member and we hope that you're in the channel as well. Um, but we'll just run through these. We've got a bunch. Uh, feels like leading up to the end of the year, there's just a lot of that scramble season going on. Um, so I'll just jump right in. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So actually, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll jump, a, jump to number three on, on my list um, since we are doing one of these right now. What percentage of people watch a virtual event on demand? And I'll, I'll include listen on there as well, because um, obviously you can listen to this on Spotify. Um, but uh, yeah, just curious what you've seen. I know in the in the, in the thread there was, um, I think we landed on kind of like single digit percentages hit it on demand. Um, I've seen similar things uh, in, in, in my previous roles, but yeah, curious what you see and, and what your thoughts in general are on, on virtual events, webinars, et cetera. Uh, so, I mean, because I have to kind of be a smart ass, people is a big sample size. So like what percentage of people, I don't know how many people are in the world and you have to work it back. But I, I'd say percent of registrants maybe is what we're going for with the question or percent of audience. Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah. Um, I Or of total we, views, I guess would be the other side. Yeah, to, yeah total views. I, and then it really depends on your distribution strategy. 
Um, like if you have an event and really your strategy is uh, host the event and you're going to send out the recording, I've seen probably closer to 50% are going to hit it live. Um, if you have a strategy that's more based around, hey, we're going to live record a podcast, and then we have a very sophisticated distribution strategy for said podcast after the fact, you're going to whittle down your live percentage numbers. Um, but I have seen over the last couple months, the percent of registrants who view it live kind of dipped down probably closer to the 30% range on the more standard live webinar strategy. Uh, I think people are tired of virtual events. I'm kind of tired of virtual events. So for those of you listening live, thank you for making it a priority. <laughs> um, at, at this point, I just want to sit around a campfire with real humans and have a beer, I think. So I'm curious what other people are seeing. This is a big topic for us as we go into 2021 planning for field marketing. <laughs> like where do, How do we approach this? What is it going to look like next year? Uh, will augmented reality be the next thing? I don't know. How what, many? What do you think, Wes? How many of these do you think you watch in a month? Two, maybe. Two. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, I feel like it's it has, like you said, become harder and harder to want to stare at your screen longer. Um, so, I think the next iteration of this, because it, it feels like webinars have been around as long as I've been in digital marketing. Certainly, um, I can remember my very first job out of college doing a webinar and, and not realizing that having a speaker who had multiple windows on their computer open would then create two audio inputs for them, which was one of my favorite disasters on a webinar. Um, but the, the format itself hasn't changed a lot. I mean, the software has gotten better. Obviously, the cameras are now too good for, for me to show up on. <laughs> they get too much detail. But the actual format and the engagement is still somewhat limited, I feel. And so I can't help but think that there's something to like the Twitch experience that may end up being the way to go with webinars. If there's a way for people to design the content and the applications that support it and more like how that is, I know people get really hooked on that. And I've got you know friends who will just sit with a window, a Twitch window open all day long and hang out with their favorite streamer. Um, so it's not just the staring at the screen that's hard. I think there's something about, and of course, you know, we're, we're right here with a bunch of slides and, and two little thumbnails of us, but something yeah. about the dynamic that the, 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 the sort of B2B, especially corporate webinar just doesn't carry that same entertainment value. So I imagine in the next year or two, especially with some of these um, new vendors that have gotten a lot of funding and are sort of building out their tool sets for webinars that we'll see some improvements on the engagement. But yeah, it's not something where, you know, two, two a month is a, probably about where I am too. And going, at, going any further is, is a tough one. Yeah, I, one thing I'm looking at or my team is looking at right now is Reddit. Like uh, Reddit streaming is a really interesting uh, format that a lot of B2B marketers really haven't looked at. Um, and it's kind of a, a lottery in terms of can you create content that people jump on and want to engage with? Um, what do we do with all of our uh, coins that we get when we actually do go viral? That's a totally a different question. Um, but I'm curious if anyone has experience uh, creating Reddit content. Um, I, I'd be curious if you've done that uh, in B2B or in SaaS and what your experience was. Um, side note, shout out to Michael Hartman from Dallas uh, come, showing up in the live chat. It's good to see you here. How's it going, Michael? <laughs> 
Um, well, let's we're we're creeping up on the end of the year, and I know that you are hiring. Um, so a little plug there. But uh, a couple questions came in. So first one from Chris in New York: How do you hire and manage a junior marketer? Who? How do you? One, yeah. Yeah, that's a. I I would uh, I would have a follow up question, which is what type of marketer in particular? What's the the role? I'm going to assume that this might be a general marketing manager or kind of a first marketing hire, um, in which case it's a big question. I'm actually curious. I got to answer the last question first. So I'm going to let you answer it first. Um, and then I'll jump in with my thoughts too, because I don't want to take over the whole conversation. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think, you know, where, where I, where I try to start when, when hiring is somebody who's, who's fairly junior is to really outline what the expectations of the role are and, and what the goals are. I find that, uh, the earlier in your career you are, I think the more you appreciate some structure and planning assistance. Um, so really laying that out clearly and, and, and through the interview process, making sure that the person is aligned with exactly how they'll be spending most of their time. Obviously, there's going to be stuff that's unpredictable that comes up. But um, if you can just give them a pillar or two and say, hey, you're really going to be focused on this channel or this type of program, um, I find that that has really helped people get get up to speed and feel like they have um, at least one thing that they can focus on when, uh, you know, when they're not working with the rest of the team or they're, um, you know, trying to feel ownership over something. So that's, that's, you know, I throw that in there. Um, and as far as managing them, I think, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to break any special news here, but, you know, regular one-on-ones, um, really, you know, giving them the right metrics around whatever channels or programs or initiatives they're, um, they're working on. And, um, you know, checking in and, and working to help them. But really, for me, it's a lot about sort of the, the you know, I feel like when I'm on these shows, I just use all these cliches, but like teach a teach person to, to fish um, yeah. and they'll, they'll eat forever. You really want to give them something that uh, they, they really feel like they can drive without anybody else's help. Because early on in your career, it's tempting to just sort of feel like, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to mess, you know, mess up and, and piss off my boss. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll throw it back to you on that. Yeah, that's right. I think I fully agree with you. I like to start with full transparency or as much transparency as possible about goals and expectations and how those align with overall company goals and expectations. I think with a junior marketer, it can be really easy to make assumptions about what they know or about what you think they think you want. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if if you're able to outline with them in some kind of coaching or collaborative way, hey, here's our overall team goal. Step back from that. Here's your functional goal. Step back from that. How are we going to achieve this? And really working with them to lay out like, hey, if your goal is to just is to create a podcast and you want to build an audience for your podcast and that's their job, then working back with them collaboratively, how they're going to hit those audience numbers or audience growth numbers. Um, because then you're not only giving them a job and making sure that they have alignment and understanding of what their job is. You're also coaching them to think critically in that way, which I think is like marketers, inherently want to constantly feel like they're learning and growing and progressing. And so the more you're able to invest like your planning processes and your thought processes in them, uh, I think you're going to develop a junior marketer that can make those decisions on their own much faster. That's such a great um, point about sort of imparting the, your way of thinking yeah. um, for them of, of like how to solve some of these problems, because it can be tempting to, uh, 
you know, make decisions based on what you want or what, what you think someone else wants, as opposed to, Hey, here's how I would actually think about that problem. It's not make me happy. It's let's drive, you know, like you're saying those, those key metrics around that, whatever program it is that they're running. Yeah. And it's also like, do you know how many junior marketers I've worked with who are so much more creative and smarter than I am? <laughs> like that's ideally that's what you're hiring for. And if you're always just giving them a to-do list, you lose the, the ability for them to push back and have a seat at the table. And with my team, I always want them to feel comfortable. Like it, it's unfortunate that you have to expressly give people permission to disagree, but I try to set that tone where I congratulate and encourage disagreement um, and make it very clear in on the onset, like your job is not to agree with me. Your job is to help me grow this business. Mm. Um, and so I want to hear from you when you have a better idea or you disagree with the approach. And then we're gonna have a conversation about it and get it to a better place. Junior marketers don't always feel, or junior people in general, I think don't always feel like they have that permission. So I'd maybe a note that's down the road from hiring, but hire someone who's gonna disagree with you would be another note. Yeah, and, and if you yeah. can facilitate um, a format or a process where they, are required to bring their own ideas. Cause I yeah. find that that can be something else too, where people just, uh, you know, some people just, uh, they, when they're newer, they just, they, they feel like, oh, I'm here to take orders. You know, I, the boss yeah. gives me stuff, I take it and I go. And and really, especially in marketing, creativity, like you said, is so is so important. Yeah, I agree. Let's let's flip it a bit and put ourselves in, in I don't know if it's the hot seat, but in the focus seat, but how do you how would you recommend to a CEO um, that they hire a VP of marketing? What are the things that they should think about? What different types of VPs of marketing are there? Um, this is a huge topic, but you know, and kind of the end of the year, I know a lot of people are doing hiring. Um, yeah, uh, I'm curious to hear. We probably have a lot of VPs of marketing listening, so if people want to jump in in the chat and give one one or two points of what you have seen to be a great hiring process for in your own career. I'd love to hear. Um, in, in my experience, or let's say if, if I were a CEO and I'm trying to hire a VP of marketing, I would start with referral. Um, I think you, you can definitely find a great VP of marketing out there and you're going to see it from their track record and you're going to see it from the results of companies that they, they've worked with. Um, but VPs of marketing can range just so drastically in terms of how they think about building a team, what their roles are, depending on the size of the company, like your VP of marketing could be one of three people on the marketing team, or it could be one of 50, um, could be one of 500. It depends. Find a 500 person marketing team with one VP. That'd be interesting. But, um, I, I would start with tap your network. Um, network of other CEOs, CMOs, um, find someone who uh, comes with great referrals of people saying, yeah, this person actually did it before. Marketers are great bullshitters. So start <laughs> with that. Um, from, from there, I'd say uh, find a person who's going to uh, come in and bring a plan. And that plan is built around outcomes. Um, I, I would think at this point that most people who are uh, talking about a VP of marketing role are going to do that, but state the obvious maybe. Um, and then really look for someone who thinks about their job as building and leading and managing a team. Um, I think really depending on your business goals, 
I guess, like if you if you want a VP of marketing because your company is ready to scale, um, then you're going to want to hire for leadership and the ability to hire, the ability to structure and motivate a team. Um, if you're hiring for a VP of marketing because it's your first and you're still trying to find product market fit or you're just really growing, improving out the business, maybe you're looking for someone with a product management, product marketing background. Um, but ultimately, I'd, I'd be looking for leadership. Um, I mean, Wes, what are your, your yeah, thoughts? I mean, you, you touched on a lot of it. I think the emphasis on outcomes stuck out to me as a point that I would really want to be clear with this person. Um, here's, here's why I'm hiring you. You know, yeah. I think uh, it can be tempting, especially for people in non-marketing roles, uh, to think of a VP of marketing or a CMO as, hey, you're just going to do everything. You're, like, <laughs> we're going to yeah. drive pipeline. We're going to have, you know, we're going to improve our positioning. We're going to fix pricing. We're going to fix our website. We're going to stand up social. We're going to have TV shows. We're going to, you know, just do everything. And I think that's kind of a recipe for disaster. If you're looking for somebody to do everything, you're probably going to find up with someone who's not good at uh, a few of those things, at least. And so if you can give that person focus and really come in with those outcomes defined and say, hey, you know, the most important thing to our business right now is a rebrand or is traffic or is finding product market fit um, that can really sort of narrow your focus on the types of candidates that you're talking to. And it, you'll, you'll, I think you can probably see from most people's LinkedIn's or their resumes where their focus has been, is this a product marketing person or is it a demand gen person or a growth person, et cetera. Um, so really just kind of having that in mind, what, what sort of focus you want this person to have. Um, that's a, that's a great way to get them off to a good start. Cause, um, you know, so I think there's, I've, I've certainly, you know, talked to companies where there's just no plan and it's like, you bring us a plan of what you think is right. And, and I think that that sort of puts you on the back foot where you don't know the business as well coming in as a VP of marketing. Um, and so you sort of have to figure it all out and, and also understand, you know, where, where do the opportunities lie? Yeah, that's a great point. And I would add be like, if you're hiring for this role, be transparent about that. I think most, most VPs at this point want to come in and be constructive and deliver quickly and, but also want to be in those strategic conversations. Um, and I think sometimes the temptation, especially in smaller companies can be like, to your point, Hey, we want this person to come in and grow the business. And that's a very broad, of course, like every marketer wants to grow the business but having those constructive conversations early to really together narrow down, are my strengths the best fit for how you wanna grow this business um, would be a really constructive interview conversation aside from just the like, like if you, if as a marketer, if you were an animal, what animal would you be? Is a less <laughs> constructive interview question. How many um, jelly beans fit on a bus? <laughs> right, that's a waste of time, but having the constructive conversation. I mean, if I'm a VP of marketing, I'd be asking the person like, what do you think marketing's job is? If I come in in three months, like what is success? What is failure? If we're going to fail as a company, why would we fail? Um, what are some of the strengths that you've seen in previous marketing uh, people that you've worked with? Because that will, as a marketer, give you a lot of insight into how this hiring person views marketing. Um, if their answer is, oh, my favorite marketer in the past like was a really great graphic designer, probably a little bit different than, oh, my favorite marketer in the past was able to restructure the team to gain X efficiency and identified our partner channel as the having the most opportunity for growth and then hired the right people into those roles. 
that's a very different type of marketer than someone who is great at brand or design. So ask those questions, have those constructive conversations in the hiring process and save yourself some pain down the road. Yeah. And then I would just throw in on the marketing, on the marketer side, make sure when you come into a, a role or, or when you're, when you're evaluating one that you understand what marketing it, whatever stage they are currently, what they're accountable for. Uh, I can't tell you how many roles I've come into where I thought, Hey, I'm going to be driving demand. I'm going to be working on uh, conversion and building pipeline. And then I found out, Oh, actually we're on the hook for every single internal event that this company throws. And those have nothing to do with driving new pipeline. And while you're going to be held to pipeline goals, you have to spend 25% of your time running every all hands meeting and running, you know, right. all these other things that in, in, in other contexts might not be a part of the job description. Make sure you, you sort of nail down what all those, uh, the table stakes are um, coming into that yeah. that new role. Great point. All right. Um, next one we've got from Tate in Manchester. What are the best places to learn marketing? Uh, there were a few thrown out in the thread. I'll just I'll just mention them here, um, and then maybe we can just react quickly to them. But uh, HubSpot, is, you know, certainly has a ton of content out there. They really built their business in a lot of ways off of um, their training and content. Uh, yep. Demand curve. I'm not familiar with. I don't know if that's that one, you know? Yeah, it's a, I, I think they do courses, but I know there's a Slack community. Uh, really great for maybe more demand gen focused marketers. Okay. Uh, okay. Highly recommend. Uh, Reforge. Um, I've, I've been through Reforge. I've had uh, some folks on my team go through that. Uh, that's a great one. Very focused on uh, experimentation and, and growth um, initiatives. What did you think of that? I'm looking at that right now, actually, for my team. Yeah, really interesting. I think it uh, it depends a lot on your product. Uh, they certainly have a bias towards products that have sort of that PLG model where there's um, you know some potential for virality. Um, there's certainly a lot of spreadsheets and math involved. At least that was my experience. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, it's going to depend on your business, but certainly there's a lot of. Uh, I would say they're out of, out of the marketing pool of people. This is the more quant group. Um, okay. which, uh, you know, certainly can be, you know, useful for any marketer to, to put themselves in, in those types of shoes. Awesome. And they, they also do a good job and they have a lot of, uh, like product people who, who are in those roles as well. And, and, and many of the instructors have that background too. So nice. pretty interesting if that's in your wheelhouse as a marketer, uh, a couple others that were mentioned, smart insights, not familiar with that one. I don't know if you know them. Um, and then the last one, it's funny, it, it came on, I think it was the last comment in the thread, but somebody shouted out, um, it, I think it was a, a master's program at a college. And, and yes, of course, there are many great <laughs> universities and colleges uh, out there that offer uh, you know, marketing specific education. I, it's funny, I haven't even thought about this. Um, I, I live with a marketer who has a master's in marketing. Um, but uh, yeah, just, I don't know if there's any comment yeah, I'll just throw it your way. Any, any reaction on any of those? That's fun. Thumbs up on HubSpot, Demand Curve. I'm definitely curious about Reforge. Uh, Masters is also funny because I wouldn't have thought about it. Like I, My educational background, my degree is in international business. And I don't know that I would have pegged that for like learning the latest and greatest in marketing, especially if you're in a field like technology where like you're really hustling for attention. Um, I, you're, you're going to get like the basics of what is business, but I don't know that you're going to get the attention grabbing tactics or the maybe more recent channels that you should be approaching in a, in a degree. Um, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd add revenue collective 
<laughs> great place. Yeah. This podcast is a great <laughs> place to learn about marketing as well. 100%. Um, Gwen in San Antonio um, asked about, I think, just a primer on, influ on, on influencer marketing. Uh, I'm not sure. Is this something that you've spent any time or, or if you guys have done at SurfSpring or, or just any thoughts on influencer marketing in general? I know there's a lot of agencies that people work with for. Yeah, I haven't formally. Uh, I In my last uh, or in a previous life, um, we did kind of set up a, a scrappy version of I'd call an influencer marketing program uh, in that we would identify key customers who had a presence um, in the industry. And in, in onboarding and throughout, we would just connect them with our press contacts. Um, we had a lot of relationships with like big podcast. It was legal and compliance. So big podcast hosts in the industry. Um, we'd do events and have them come speak. So our vision really, it was a small company, but our vision was create influencers out of our customers who already had kind of foundation for that. Um, and that was pretty cool. That ended up like, we had a lot of them come speak at events on our behalf and they were psyched to do it because it helps them build their own personal brand. Um, but I have not yet worked on a more formal B2C style influencer program. Uh, something I'd love to learn more about though. So if anyone has resources, send them my way. Yeah, I echo a lot of what you said, you know, have done sort of the uh, in the industry influencer types mm -hmm. of initiatives and programs. Um, what I would say, you know, to, to add to that, you know, maybe one thing is just if you can make it a relationship where it is really something that this person feels engaged and, and not sort of it's not a transactional thing you will get such better results. Um, I've seen and been a part of kind of both <laughs> where you see the relationships. It's like, you have to be prescriptive with some people and say, hey, do this, do this, do this. And that's literally all they will do. Um, and then there are other people who really get involved and really feel a connection. And, and those are the ones that really add value. So come in and really think of it not as some, I'm gonna throw some money at this problem and hopefully this person will drive me some traffic. Uh, but as, hey, let's see if we can really create something of value. Um, you'll, get, you'll get better results. Uh, there was a question from Reed in Atlanta on a recommendation on technographic data. This comes up probably every week in the Ask Marketing channel. Um, yeah. Certainly, if you have recommendations, I'm sure people would love to hear them. There are plenty of those in those in that thread. Um, but I, I just I just want to put a pause in or a pin in this and, and, and ask like how how much is this still the way to go of like buying lists? That's something that I sort of especially when, with like GDPR and a lot of the, uh, the regulation that's coming into um, coming into the industry have, have really backed away from list buying even as a strategy and, and have made it kind of an organic thing. But I understand why people, you know, want to do this. So yeah, what, yeah. What, what's, what's your take? I mean, I, I like it for data enrichment. So if we do mm -hmm. have a lead, being able to segment that lead based on technographic data that we have. So for us, we have, uh, segments based on the e-commerce platform a potential customer or future customer is using. And if we're able to enrich their data with that technographic data, we can give them much more useful information based on the platform they're using. So I really, I like it for that. Uh, I know it does come up a lot um, and it probably comes up a lot because there's not a foolproof way to do it. And there's not a single platform whose data is just perfect. Um, 
And as marketers, like we all have this vision for perfectly segmented, automated engagement. And it never works out that way. And that's why I think people ask the question all the time. Like, how can I just, like someone shows up on my site and if they're a Shopify user, like my whole site looks like our app is just for Shopify. Mm -hmm. And then every single nurturing touch point and every single social touch point is gonna reflect that. And like, man, that's a big lift. Like, I don't know, like we all wanna be there and it's just a hard, a hard uphill slog to get there, but. I maybe combine two ideas there. What, what about just buying lists for outbound? Because I think that's the other yeah. side, or, or where I'm much more hesitant. Because certainly we, you know, we we have used tools to fill in data for a long time, but just flat yeah. cold lists. I mean, we we do it. But I, there was the old school way of like some person reaches out and says, "Hey, do you want a list of like the 500 greatest such and <laughs> such from such event?" I've never bought that kind of list. Um, we do use like lead insights platforms, um, to create lists and they've worked in terms of return, um, ethically or morally. I don't, I haven't really, I never dove into that in my own psyche to understand <laughs> how I feel about it. I don't think. Fair enough. So yeah, a little yeah. bit of soul searching required from, yeah. from anyone looking to get into here. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we got a question from another question from San Antonio. Joanne in San Antonio asks, <laughs> anyone have experience in data to back up the value of an academy or certification program? Um, I have certainly spent a lot of time thinking about put, creating and also being uh, a person who's gone through academies and certifications as a part of my job. Uh, and I've always thought of that as like, such a great value add for customers. You talked a little bit about it when we went through some of the influencer conversation. Um, do you want to answer Joanne's question in any way, or just uh, answer my own question? Um, so I, I don't. I'm. I would love to hear. Like I anecdotally know from kind of like you, my own experience, um, what it has meant to me when a when a uh, provider has some kind of academy or educational experience. Um, I, at one point I worked for a HubSpot agency, so I learned a lot through HubSpot's content and their academy content and think that they were brilliant in the way that they laid that out. Um, but I, that, that's a, that's anecdotal and personal. And so I, I'm really curious if anyone has like, oh, we did this and increased retention by X percent with every customer that went through the academy, like, or the lifetime value of a customer doubled because we had them go through certification or product utilization accelerated by X percent, whatever it is, like, I would love to have hard data on the impact of a community or education program. Um, yeah, so if anyone finds any out there, let me know. Yeah, yeah, I don't have any of the data here, but, but certainly my experience was that um, and I think maybe more philosophically from a, from a 30,000 foot angle, like in some ways the job of marketing is, and I'll put this under the marketing umbrella because oftentimes I feel like marketers are tasked with, uh, with creating a lot of these. Um, your goal is to get people to spend time thinking about what it is that you do and, and the use of your product and your tool. And, and this is just another great way to do it. And so you'll see certainly in a lot of the product-led growth content that's out there, this is one of the 
pillars of creating a program like that to just get people in and using and building those habits. People who, you know, invest time in something tend to want to make sure that that time was well spent. And so you do see, and I've certainly been someone who's taken, uh, you know, I, I was a very early Marketo user, um, gosh, probably almost 10 years ago now. And I took that into four different businesses and it was just in, like a not even a question. What 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 tool are we going to use? Uh, because I had been so invested in the community, I had become I had been a certified expert. I had uh, led their user groups, and there was just no there's no way I was going to switch without something dramatic happening. Um, and so I I think if you if you're thinking about investing in it, you know certainly take a look at um, you know the fundamentals and how it might apply to your business. But I feel like it's a great way to get people to spend more time, uh, both customers and and prospects. Oh. Tibbers ravenously agrees. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, here's a quick one from John, who is uh, somewhere far away from New York now. But he asks, if you've moved, what do you do for your LinkedIn profile if you're far from the nearest metro? Um, yeah, any, any suggestion here for John? I have no ideas. I think, I think for me, the, the quick answer was just, uh, you know, put put the closest metro that you are willing to show up for work at. Yeah. Because if you put New York and you're you're actually four hours from New York, New York and you're not willing to show up at the office ever, then it's probably not going to help you. Um, yeah. But yeah, kind of the quick answer. Yeah, Ag agreed. What's like, think about the purpose of having your location on LinkedIn and then optimize accordingly. All right, we may get some more suggestions on this end, uh, but we'll power through the last couple questions here. Patrick in Atlanta wants to know, what are your best holiday gift ideas? You and I talked about this at one point. Um, I have, I right now have such, I am so far behind on holiday gift ideas. Um, I will probably end up doing gift cards um, and kind of phone it in this year, to be honest. Um, I do like meaningful gifts. So like take, taking a few minutes and like thinking, all right, what's one thing this person meant to me this year or a conversation we had that was particularly meaningful and just a token of that means so much more than the gift. Mm. Um, so like I, there's a person that I have, worked with who at one point made a joke about like um she never had a quinceanera um and she's moving into, yeah another, another um moving into a new home and it kind of feels like her uh like quinceanera um so i'm gonna get her a little like hopefully she's not listening because surprise ruined um <laughs> but get her a little like quinceanera token and like it thanks for sharing your life with me this year Things like that I really like, uh, just taking a minute to think about something meaningful. Uh, do you, you, you are much more pragmatic when we talked about this. So I, I want you to share your ideas too, because mine are so like deep and emotional and yours are like, I'm gonna optimize this so it's efficient. <laughs> I think I'm also a presumptive person, but, uh, or at least a, someone who doesn't mind imposing on people, but uh, I find books to be kind of an easy way to do that. So, you know, here's here's my favorite book of the year. Here's something I thought that I read that I thought you might like. Uh, I know only something like 40% of people in this country actually will even claim to read books, which is 
which means probably a third of those uh, are probably actually reading books. <laughs> um, so it probably is something that'll just gather dust for people. But I, I do like the idea of sort of um, giving somebody something that can help them in some way. Um, one thing I'm experimenting with, and, and I'll tell any of my friends who are listening to, well, I, who cares about the surprise? It's not even for them, uh, <laughs> is, is, is now that I have more friends who have children, um, is at least the first year, uh, or maybe the second, I think for one of them, I may have missed one, but giving them some stock. I feel like giving kids stock, it's like what, you know, you, you have, they have the benefit of time, hopefully, <laughs> to, yeah. to sit on these. And so telling the parents, hey, I, I got your, you know, I got your, uh, you know, your little one, uh, a share of Apple stock to sit on for the next 20 years. Let me know when you've opened whatever account you are going to. It's hopefully someday for them and I'll transfer awesome. it in there. Um, but that feels like something that isn't necessarily going to be a huge, you know, I think, you know, huge cost or anything, but it's, it's such a, it is a thoughtful gift in that, Hey, I'm looking out for your kid's future. And that's like that. going to last a lot longer than a, a onesie or something. Um, you know, for the, maybe the marketing sales question, like, do you, what, what do you do for prospects or, or for customers? I think, uh, you know, there's, there's all a whole number of things you can do. And, and one thing I'll throw in for a lot of people been asking about this, um, a lot of the vendors now, Sendoso, PFL, et cetera, have set up, um, ways for you to capture their information uh, without giving it to you, the vendor. Um, and so that's kind of a nice way when you can't send stuff to people's offices, I would certainly take advantage of that. But uh, on the gift side, I think, you know, try to do something personal, figure out, you know, hopefully you know what they like. I, I have always been a fan, now I'm really rambling, but I've always been a fan of like a field in Salesforce or whatever your CRM is for something about this person that you know that has nothing to do with their work and so if you've if you've if you've been successful in managing that relationship you'll have that field filled out and hopefully there's something you know whether they have four dogs at home like i do uh, or or you know kids or something else that they spend a lot of their time on um i think something personal is always always best i love that my dad was in sales for a lot of my childhood um, and he had his like old school binder of business cards in his truck at any given time of his customers. Um, and he would always on the back have that written, like mm -hmm. something about them to remember to ask them about when he called them. And it's such an old school, like P pre mobile CRM, <laughs> <laughs> like way to do it. But it's, it's really good advice. Cause then you remember like, oh, this person's a human too. And you always have that kind of personal note about him. I like yeah, I, di I did see in our channel um, some conversation about whether or not even to send stuff to their to your customers this year, since people are at home. Yeah, I'll just tell you this: your competitors probably are. Yeah, so, I am. So if you're competing with me, <laughs> get off your ass and send some presents. Don't be cheap. Um, <laughs> or I also saw someone recommended donating to charity on their behalf, which I like as an alternative if you can't uh, or don't want to figure out mailing addresses. Uh, that digital exchange can be pretty cool. We're, we're trying that with some of our partners this year. Um, and yeah, or kind of just a personal outreach, like, hey, here's a gift card if you don't wanna do something like physical mail. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you can also do that to like a local small business. You know, obviously people are pretty conscious about that now. Um, yeah. So some, some good ideas. All yeah. right, well. We spent somehow spent 40 minutes answering questions, but I guess that is in the name of the show. So yes, <laughs> we'll just keep you are, the whole premise of the show is to ask marketing. And I think we're supposed to answer. Um, so job well done, I guess. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to roll on. We've got uh, 20 minutes to get through. 
um, a dive on annual planning. We'll get into what are your thoughts, and then we'll close as usual with recommendations and housekeeping. Um, but I'll throw it your way for this masterpiece. Yes, <laughs> someone else's masterpiece originally, but I, yeah, I want to talk, I've heard a lot of questions lately about annual planning. Uh, we have been doing our 2021 planning kind of on and off for the last month or so, six weeks maybe at this point. Um, so I, I really like how we've approached annual planning as a leadership team this year. So I want to share a couple tips on it. I'm not going to go really in depth, but uh, hit me up later if you want to talk more. I'd love to hear how you do it. Uh, First, we always start with a painted picture. Um, and that effectively is a document that your team collaborates on. Uh, what does our team or our company look like at the end of next year or at the end of the next two years? Um, I did that with my team leads uh, going into planning. Every department did it with their team leads going and directors going into planning. Um, and it was really a cool way to kind of step back from the tactical day in and day out and just set vision, get people really excited about thinking big. Um, it, and it was some of its big things like, hey, we want to be a destination workplace. Like by the end of X, we will have won this award and we will have X score on Glassdoor or whatever it looks like. Um, so really starting from the visualizing the success kind of element and going from there. Uh, then we took that and as a leadership team got together and said, hey, we all have all of these huge ideas. Um, so apparently we're going to grow by like 700% next year, right? <laughs> um, and then really narrowed it down as a company to what we call our five fucking things, um, courtesy of our CEO, which I loved. It was really a way for all of us in the room to get together and say, okay, we all have a million ideas. As a company, what are the five fucking things we want to focus on next year? These are our strategic focuses. Um, and these are the things that we believe are the big bets that are going to drive revenue and drive our growth over the next year. There will be tactical things beyond that. There will be other things, but it will always come back to these focus areas. Um, from there, we took that and each team went through functional planning for that growth. So from the five fucking things, you take what's assigned to you. Teams come together and say, okay, if one of those things is increase outbound contribution by X percent. Uh, the outbound team comes together and says, all right, how are we going to do that? We need to plan for X increase in headcount. Uh, these are the things that are working that we want to keep doing. These are the things that aren't working that we want to stop doing, which is a very important part of planning. Never skip the what you want to stop. Um, these are the things we haven't tried that we want to try. Um, and from there, the functional plans all come together and we have a nice a uh, pretty five point plan going into next year with the tactical plans beneath it. Um, if next year is anything like this year, we will accomplish like 20% of what we set out to, <laughs> to accomplish and there will be a global pandemic that ruins half of our plans. But um, it, it has been a really good uh, prog uh, process really to go through um, having a lot of personalities in the room, a lot of vision, um, we, we have a lot of financial resources to get where we want to go. And so the name of the game for us was focus. Um, and, and that has really been a fun process. So I, like I said, I'd love to hear how other people are approaching 2021 planning, but that's my, my wisdom dump for the day. Uh, if I could ask one, one question, how do you, how do you make sure that this annual plan remains an annual plan and isn't something that 
becomes a week a week's plan or a quarter's plan and then changes. Um, yeah, that that's funny because it's something we joked about early on. Which is like, so if we move really fast and finish these five things, <laughs> like then we've done it in the first three weeks of the year. Do we just all go home? Like, um, but I ultimately they all have numbers against them. So there's a there's a goal, and that goal has like a finish line to it. So it's not really something tactical that you can just decide you're tired of and not accomplish it. Um, they're all tied to revenue, which I think was a really important. I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't mention it. Everything, every point in the five fucking things is tied to a revenue goal. <laughs> Fun. Um, so that I think that kind of brings it back to if you haven't hit that goal, then you can't really move on to the next thing. Um, one of the things we've talked about kind of in, in the revenue teams within our company is our team meetings and our revenue leader meetings always start with this list and kind of update against the list, um, which will always bring us back to that focus. I will remind myself to report on this six from months from now and <laughs> tell you how we're doing. See if, see if all five have, have uh, stayed the same. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for walking us through. That sounds like a great framework. Uh, let's, let's jump into a little lighting round. Shall we? And uh, this was one of yours. What are your thoughts? BMW ran a bit of an aggro campaign. Uh, I guess there had been some pushback on the design of, of their new SUV crossover electric. I think it's the I-Series. Yeah, it's an electric uh -huh. car. I will say I don't like the way it looks. Oh, it's <laughs> as, as someone who drives a BMW, this is not one that I would buy. No, and we, we talked about this, right? Like there's, everyone has their preferential BMW model year. This is not it for like that is. And it, so I kind of made the joke about this, that like on behalf of every marketer who has been given a shitty product, the BMW marketing team has finally just gone like no holds bar on social about like, get off my ass. I know it looks awful. Like just keep an open mind. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I want your like, what are your thoughts? On, do you think this is going to be an effective campaign for them? I think, and this is, it could be a huge conversation, so I won't, I won't, I'll try not to blow it up, but I think contrarianism is very popular right now. Yeah. And just the idea that like you're going against whatever the collective wisdom of the crowds is, is popular, which just sounds a little strange, but so I feel like there is some element to this that it will appeal to a certain audience where, um, there's just people who don't want to agree. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think that the sort of the, 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 the way to the, like frame this from a marketing perspective, separate from the car and, and how they actually took their ankle is that it's almost like a, a pushback on cancel culture in a way where like it's saying, Hey, we, we actually aren't trying to appeal to everybody. And in fact, we will ex explicitly try not to appeal to a certain group of people and make that the appealing part of buying this car. <laughs> it's like, put yourself yeah. in, in this one group. But so I think it could work. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. I, one of my first thoughts was, all right, is this the BMW target audience? Like are the people who fight on Twitter, the people who buy BMWs? <laughs> and I don't know if that's like, maybe there's some crossover there. I don't know that like, when I think of someone who wants to buy a BMW, they're not necessarily the people who are like, 
just gonna like spout off on Twitter and want to be different for the sake of being different all the time. Like that person might be buying. I don't know what kind of card is that. Also, person? if you're trying to be different, really a BMW. It's like, right, it's like, like that's kind of my thought is like, and maybe BMW's trying to go the direction with their brand, where like Audi a while back did the like not your not your father's luxury type yeah. campaign, and and maybe they're trying to go that way as well. Like to me, this just kind of looks like a weird transformer utility vehicle. It's not the luxury you want out of BMW. It's also not like we talked about my favorite BMW model year is a classic and it's definitely not that like you're getting really far away from the body structure of a really classic BMW. I just, I don't, I don't like it. You don't think we'll see uh, these rolling around in the streets in 40 years as uh, desirable classics. God, I don't know. I've, this is, that's total detour conversation. Like what is, do classic cars exist? 20 years from now? Like, is someone going to be driving around a 93 Civic and like, oh, sweet classic, bro? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Is it, <laughs> like, wh at what point does the classic become no longer nostalgic and some company has like generated a better recycling program for automobiles and we just mm -hmm. don't keep cars anymore? I don't know. I don't know. Total detour <laughs> topic. We get that so far away from marketing. Um, All right, let's go Let's we do some shade in the in the questions bubble that I'll answer real quick. So someone asked, Michael asked for the five fucking things that each oh. uh, assigned each get assigned to one and only one leader. I've always found that if there is not clear ownership, then it is easy to let it slide. Absolutely, and we talked at length about this actually in the meetings. Um, each one had a owner against it. Um, there were like dependencies on other teams, but each thing has an owner. Um, Really great point because especially in a leadership team with people who like to take ownership of things and be autonomous and like be proactive, really setting expectations over who's responsible for succeeding here is important. All right. Yeah. Continue. More uh, thoughts. Yeah. My what are your thoughts is probably like I was starting there, uh, a chance to just throw some shade, at least from my side. Uh, everybody is getting in on this disappearing stories, reels, fleets. Uh, I saw this great, great, I saw this great graphic on, on, on Twitter. Somebody put, uh, if you're listening on audio, we're looking at Excel with disappearing stories, uh, at the top. um, my personal take is enough, enough, enough. I just, there's no, uh, there's no, there's just nothing defensible to me about this. You're just copying a feature from somebody else that, Frankly, it doesn't seem like people even like. Uh, I don't know what. <laughs> I, I try not to watch this stuff. I don't. I feel like it. Like here's my cynical take: is Snapchat did it, and then like it took really slow big companies way too long to copy it. I, that's kind of how I see it. Is like someone five years, maybe three years ago, was like, "Oh, that'd be cool and new," and then it took their product teams this long to actually get it done and ship it. <laughs> that's how it feels, and I don't. Like Instagram, maybe I can see it. Like you're particularly interested in influencers you follow or friends. Um, LinkedIn, I just, can, can we work on like threading comments first or <laughs> like actually showing the correct data or things that people actually use LinkedIn for before we get into stories? Yeah, um, uh, yeah I'm not a huge fan. 
Yeah. It's uh it's yeah, it's a sign of like lack of innovation from my side. And it's just nobody needs this. Nobody needs this. This wasn't <laughs> we, we weren't missing a place to get 20 <laughs> seconds of you walking down the street. I mean, if we so, but what's the what's the thing people are trying to solve for with it? Maybe we can just reinnovate right here. Isn't right I mean, I feel like all these platforms that we're discussing, they're the their five fucking things. Number one is how do we keep people on our platform as long as possible? Time is money, user yeah. interest is money, and so we've identified that this is a, an addictive feature that people are will click on and spend time looking at. So let's just add it and let's just keep bolting on addictive features into our social media platforms until there is, you know, there are no more features. Um, I, I feel like if, if it were me, I understand that dynamic. That is your business. If your revenue is driven by the time people spend on your site, I get why that you want to keep the clause in. I, what I would ask and, and maybe suggest is that you give people the customization. And so if I'm on Twitter, I hate this, I should be able to not have to see it. And um, yeah. I imagine that, that that will be that someone will look at that as a potential competitive advantage and say, "Hey, we could probably uh, increase. Uh, we could do more with less. And and if we take and give people the option to customize what they're looking at, almost like uh, 20 years ago, you would have done on my Yahoo. <laughs> um, just like make it a little bit more module modular, so you can remove yeah. it. I think that might be one way that people could go. Yeah. All righty, uh, let's go into some some quick recommendations. This one I feel like is just hot fire right now. I've yet to watch it, but it's queued up for me. Yeah, Queen's Gambit. Uh, I kind of put off watching this for a while because um, I don't really like to get hooked on new shows. Um, but I started watching it. It's a pretty short series, like a mini series. Um, it is so good. I did not anticipate loving this show as much as I did. Um, it it. I don't think the trailers do it justice. Like you have to go into it thinking like if you took the trailer, but then it was even more deep and weird, but engaging than you thought it would be. It's that. Um, and yeah, it's just a great story around uh, the main character who uh, was orphaned when she was young, uh, but it kind of ties in her backstory, which is really intricate and kind of messed up. Um, with her uh, chemical dependency from being in an orphanage and being given tranquilizers as a child when that back when that was legal and a thing um, to becoming like the world's best chess player. Um, really good. Highly recommend it. All right. My recommendation is an article. Um, and this is from Morgan Housel. He's a, a writer for the Collaborative Fund. Um, and I, I put the link there. It's it's just a great piece, I felt like, um, that summarized a lot of what I feel like we're all going through this year. Um, and it sort of puts a historical context around it and, and kind of, it, it gives you permission or it gives you, to, it gives you the permission, not just for yourself, but for the people around you, which I feel like has been a new challenging dynamic this year. Um, you know, just a chance to give, give people a break and give yourself a break um, for how hard the year has been. And it puts, some of the challenges we've been facing um, into a different context that sort of, I think has been helpful for me to sort of think about, hey, why are these, you know, how, how are, you know, why is our society failing to assess this risk properly as a group? Well, there's hundreds of millions of people in this country and getting that many people to agree on something is actually quite challenging. And, and I think there's just 
lot of uh, interesting angles here. So I would highly recommend this. Uh, the link, I believe, is case sensitive. Um, and if you're listening on Spotify, it's bit.ly slash capital A-M for Ask Marketing uh, Lessons. Check that one out. Let me know if you like it. He also has a great book that he just released. Um, one of my favorite, favorite writers. A little housekeeping. A oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm going to give it a read. Sounds okay, good. Okay, awesome. Um, housekeeping, yeah, we'll just wrap up. We got a couple minutes left here, but uh, we are the channel moderators for Ask Marketing at the Revenue Collective. Um, there is a link here to sign up for the Revenue Collective, bit.ly slash AMRC, all caps, sign up. Um, would really encourage people to get in there. I have found it to be so useful um, as a marketer, You know, thinking about um, hitting my goals and and also what my role is and where I can be adding value and just you know it's it's nice to have a place to go where um, where you can bounce ideas off of each other you know talk about some of the similar challenges um, yeah I, you want to throw anything in there <laughs> uh, no yeah I completely agree Revenue Collective has been so instrumental to me surviving this year uh, and even beyond that what I'm able to contribute to my company um, so I join and then have your company pay for it. Um, but it, yeah, it's an amazing community of people. I've never been a part of a community like this. Um, I'll add on a shameless plug. Uh, SearchSpring is hiring. We're hiring for a lot of different roles, but in marketing in particular, we're looking for a director of marketing, a marketing analyst, a product marketing manager, a partner marketing manager, and a director of outbound. Uh, so if you know of anyone, um, we're looking for someone who's open to moving to San Antonio at some point when the world opens up again. <laughs> All right. Amazing. And uh, our LinkedIn's are, are up here. You can certainly find either of us and contact us that way. And uh, we'll just close with uh, with a happy Thanksgiving. Um, you know, it's been a challenging year for everybody, but um, you know, I'm sure we can all find things to be thankful for in our lives. Um, hopefully some stuffing, turkey, <laughs> prime rib, whatever tacos, um, yeah. whatever you might have, you know, hold those close to you, close to you. <laughs> I think we should have just like, just end on that. Hold. I want a cross stitch pillow that says that. <laughs> uh, we'll get some shirts made. Um, and, uh, you know, if when, once we hit, uh, I don't know, some, some download mi milestone on Spotify, we'll, we'll give it, we'll give some shirts away. I love it. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks for hanging out with us. Cool. Have a good one.